Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Drinking and Screaming, a new podcast we're doing about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And today we're talking about the 1960 Alfred Hitchcock film, Psycho. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made a drink in honor of Alfred Hitchcock. Just kidding, we made one that he'd hate. International Podcast Month is well underway. If you haven't subscribed to their feed yet, we highly recommend you do. There are so many amazing creators to listen to. Check them out on Twitter, at PodMonth, for more information. Our very special bonus episode that would usually be only available to patrons of $10 or more will be featured on September 19th on their feed, and we talk about the incredible short film Lights Out. But for now, on to our regularly scheduled programming. I think that's Hockey Night in Canada. I know the Hockey Night in Canada theme song, but it's... Oh, yeah, that's it. That's Nice, good work. Here's my dog that's died four times. What? Spuds McKenzie, that's like senior, 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 senior at this point. They died of natural dog causes. Natural dog causes. Yeah. Heroin and uh, cocaine overdose, overdo- overdoses. <laughs> natural celebrity dog reasons. Ooh. Before yeah. we get into our celebrity discussion, as we always do on this show, I just wanted to point out that this episode will discuss themes of misogyny, sexual harassment, and mental health issues. So take care of yourself first. It's okay to skip this episode if you need. Even with the drink one. Usually I'll put the disclaimer after we talk about the drink, but the drink specifically talks about some of those issues. Exactly, so. which is why I gotta say it now. Right now. made this lovely, lovely drink, my love. I did, because you made the last one. Tell me. We've apparently made the rule of going back and forth. Pretty (laughs) solid now. (laughs) So my first inclination was to check what Alfred Hitchcock's favorite drink is. And then immediately I was like, I'm going to make the exact opposite of his favorite drink, just to to really shove it to him. And and why are we shoving it to him? Because he is a really, really bad, harassing shitty director asshole yeah. ding 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 yeah uh, there he is notorious at this point for a lot of the actresses he worked with coming forward like years later talking about how he tried to sexually harass them and would you should talk about the birds movie and stuff that happened there that was what you told me was fucked up oh yeah the lead actress from the birds signed like a five-year contract with him or something like that and, you know, maybe probably months into that contract, he tried to ser- sexually harass her. Oh, you're making a face at my drink already? Yeah. I'm not even past my story I'm to sorry. explain why the drink is what it is. I shouldn't have taken a sip yet. Um, <laughs> and because she turned down his advances, she basically just got harassed throughout her entire career with him. A lot of the bird scenes involved real birds and throwing birds at her. Yeah. Even- you said that they attached elastic, like... They elastically attach. Wow, how do you say that? Elastically. They put they elastic bands on her and birds to so attach that, them to her. Yeah, so they wouldn't... Oh, that's so awful. And they had to film like a few days of that scene. And uh, like a lot of the electronic birds also freaked out at her and stuff like that. And he installed a door between his office and her dressing room so that he could come in anytime that he wanted to. That's fucked up. He lunged at her in a limo, just a whole slew of things. And then 
after they were done working together, he denied entering her acting into the Oscars and then basically like <gasps> shit on her acting and working with her to everybody that he knew so that she couldn't get a job. And then this prevented This is so her- topical. Yeah, it's all it's all been happening Gamergate forever now. now. Too. Yeah. yeah. So he basically like tried to ruin her career because she didn't want to have sex with him. Men, um, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> and beyond that, he's just like a, a notorious asshole to work with. He's very demanding. He doesn't treat his actors well at all. He's a terrible, terrible person. So I wanted to take his favorite drink and basically just throw it in his face. So we're bastardizing it. Yeah. So his favorite drink is a dry martini, Blech. which is gin and dry v- vermouth. And then maybe like a spit of lime or lemon or olive, whichever. I assume he preferred olive because douchebags love olives in their martinis. Yeah. Who loves olives? Am I right? Who loves olives indeed? It's me. I love <laughs> olives. And he's of, the, uh, he's of the class of man that thinks that a martini needs to be as pure as, it, as possible. Mm. I actually looked it up. There's some really interesting history about martinis. They started with about like two to one gin to vermouth. Yeah. In like, I want to say the 20s or something. And literally as the decades went on, the amount of vermouth in the drink went down to basically it's like 100 to 1 at this point. You basically (laughs) just waft the vermouth at the gin or like maybe rim it with your finger. Yeah. a little vermouth on the edge. And uh, who was it? That playwright, something coward. Noel Coward. Noel Coward is on record as to saying that the perfect martini is made by filling a glass with gin and then pointing it in the general direction of Italy, which is (laughs) where vermouth comes from. But this isn't gin. No. So I did a lot of research. There's actually a vodka martini as well. Okay. So to start off with my little experiment, instead of gin, which is his favorite, I used vodka. Yep. Instead of dry vermouth, I used vermouth rosso, which is basically like a sweeter sweet vermouth. Yeah. Okay. He also didn't like bitters in it, so I put some bitters in it, which ha- ha- happens sometimes with a martini. Nice. And then I put lemon in it. I put a, a little rind of lemon in it because I assume that being the douchebag that he is, that he loves olives in his martini. Yeah. So this basically looks like an old fashioned at this point, but through the <laughs> through the the technical definition of a martini. It is still a martini. I definitely will tell you that you finally succeeded. Oh, yes? Yeah. Um, This is not something... I mean, this is also a very large glass. Oh, yeah. I put a lot of alcohol in this one, so (laughs) get ready for some slurring at the end of this episode. The last time we used these, we had my best drink of the whole series, well, at least so far, of the chocolate... The Oreo Oreo milkshake. milkshake, Yeah. Boozy drink. That was fucking delicious. This, um, it's liquor. (laughs) And uh, it makes me make faces while I drink it. Which is, that's something to just pull back the curtain on our relationship. We go out, uh, I'll say at least once a week to a bar uh, or a a restaurant. Depending on how much money we have at at that time. Yeah. Right now, it's more once once a month. Go to our Patreon. <laughs> Feed our love of cocktails. I mean, it's research. <laughs> I learned I learned in, in game design class that buying games is actually research for helping you. So yeah. we'll, we'll go with that. Exactly. There's two different rituals we do. But usually, if we're just picking a drink that we love, Kelly will get like a Negroni or an Old Fashioned. And I'll get something that's fruity or sour. Yeah. I'm the basic of the two of us, for sure. Yeah. That's fine. Um, so then we always make sh- each other have one, at least one sip of the other's cocktail. And Kelly always waits 
as I'm doing it. He stares at me and he gives me this face and his like forehead tilts, his chin tilts down and his eyes go a little squinty and he's just waiting. The suspense is there. And then I always go, yeah. Just imagine what face goes with that. <laughs> Just all muscles in the face contorted. Yeah, which is exactly what Kelly does whenever I have something that's too sour for him. Or that has anise in it. Yeah. But also, side note, another side note to the sidebar, another thing that sidebar. we like to do. Sidebar? <laughs> that was an accidental pun. Nice. Um, is that when we do go to a bar that we visit a lot or uh, they just change their menu or whatever, we take out their cocktail menu. But one of us will have the menu facing ourselves and the other will blindly pick a a drink from the menu using their finger without seeing. So then we'll order each other's drinks so that we're extra surprised. And it helps if the bartender knows us because then they're like, oh, Kelly wouldn't like that one or Char wouldn't like that one. Yeah. She should pick another one. (laughs) But luckily, I've trapped Char in her own machinations in this podcast where she has created the rule where we have to finish the drink that is put in front of us. Yes. And this isn't a small martini. No. This would I would consider this on the larger side of martini. I mean the one that I made you finish was a float. That wasn't terrible. Yeah, and there was some sort of like sand puke in it. There it was matcha ice cream. It was the train to Busan drink that we made the rule. Well, this one's going to fuck us up. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. I've already had wine before recording as well. Um so it's going to be fun. I actually, I'm really enjoying making these like more traditional cocktails. It makes me feel fancy Mm. and accomplished. Good. I'm glad. Mm -hmm. I'm the opposite. Uh, Not that I don't enjoy having a classic drink, especially if I haven't tried one before of the one that's very well known. Like the first time I had a sidecar, I was like, ooh, I'm so, I'm so classy. Sophisticated. Oh, Uh, which I definitely want to make for this podcast one day. But I like trying to make my own thing. I like not really looking up stuff and then fixing it a bit if I can have a chance to taste it before we record. Yeah, I just like slamming liquors together. I I was pleasantly surprised to find out that a martini was just two types of liquor shoved together. And I think it worked out swimmingly. This is definitely a Kelly drink. Oh, my God. This is 100% a Kelly drink. I can't sip it without making a face. Mm. Like, you know how normally drinks get better as you drink them? I don't think that's going to happen for this one. I can't sip this without making a smile. Great. I'm glad. I'm so happy for you. Let me just light light up this cigarette. And turn black and white. Ooh, that means we just had sex. Does your world go black and white? That might be some sort of like brain issue. No, cigarette, smoking a cigarette. The, the, euf- the euphoric chemicals in your brain cause you to see black and white? Just wait until we get to my my thoughts because I got I go deep into my film knowledge with this movie. But before we go there. Did we say the name of the martini? <gasps> go for it. I called it the bad martini. So fuck you, Alfred Hitchcock. And uh, what um, what liquor did you use? Oh, yeah. So it's uh, vodka from Mad Lab. They're premium vodka. <gasps> What's the difference? We used their vodka before. The Viking vodka is intentionally inexpensive. And then the premium one can hold up a martini by itself. Nice. <laughs> With a little bit of vermouth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Psycho premiered September 8th, 1960. It's directed by Alfred Hitchcock and written by Joseph Stefano. And it's based on the novel by Robert Block, whom I have not. Oh, I've got a fact about that one. (gasps) Ooh, I was going to say, I haven't read it. Don't know much about it. Do you want to say it now or do you want to wait? Um, I'll say it now since it's topical. Alfred Hitchcock actually bought the rights to the novel for $9,000 and then bought up every copy he could find so that it wouldn't spoil the ending for people. Wow. Because basically, well, 
Psycho was like being announced in trailers and stuff, people would have been able to go out and buy the book. But he's like, nah, fuck that. I'm just going to keep buying the book until the movie is out. Jesus, what a waste of money. Yeah. That's like opposite of what would happen now. Now books that are being made into movies, they reprint them with a cover that features the movie cover. Or you'll specifically read the book first because it's generally better than the movie. Like I did for Bird Box, which was amazing. We're definitely going to do that one day uh, on this podcast. I won't. Or, or silence. My thoughts too much. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Which is also funny because that means that the writer then made a bunch of money because Alfred Hitchcock was also buying his book. Yeah, for sure. The synopsis that I uh, grabbed from IMDb is a Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run and checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother, which this is in the 60s. So I wonder what the conversion is of $40,000. There's a fact. I think it was $120,000. Fuck. That is crazy. Because she buys a car for $700 plus her car. And I think it said that's about $5,500. Mm. which sounds about right. Wow. But yeah, in context with $120,000, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So this is a very well-known film. Um, so we don't really go too much into the explanation of the plot. But here's the trailer just uh, to give you a little taste as I taste this drink and I make a face again. You're welcome. Here we have a quiet little motel when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. You know, this is the first place that looks like it's hiding from the world. Am I acting as if there's something wrong? She's not missing so much as she's run away. Put me down. Mother, oh God, mother. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. That was a interesting trailer. Yeah, so even if that was the official trailer, there's actually a story about how they released a nine-minute trailer for the movie. Oh. That would play before movies. Which seems excessive. Nine minutes. That's a lot. I don't think I could sit through that. I guess if it's a big cliffhanger, though. You know how they do those shorts sometimes before movies? They're not nine minutes. They're usually three minutes. Oh, like the Pixar ones and stuff? Yeah, I love those. Yeah, but that's not a trailer. That's an actual cohesive story. That's true. If they showed like the the abridged version of Marion stealing the money and then going to get killed, that'd be a good short story. (laughs) Hell, I'd probably enjoy that more than the full movie itself. But also, I'm going to probably include include Hitchcock's voice, but he sounds like a man who constantly has peanut butter in his mouth. This is the this is the motel where a lot of problems happen. No wonder he had to no. be awful to ladies. Yes. To try and get them to sleep with him. Norman Bates. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh man. Should we dive in? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, I can go first. Alrighty. Just to mix it up a little bit. So once again, this is one of those movies where it's I'm been- I'm just going to try and make my way through this drink while you uh, give me your thoughts. Good luck. <laughs> I'm not going to- I specifically tried to offer you the rest of mine one time and you were like, no, you've got to drink it yourself. Yep. You can't even lie to the people on the internet nope. and say that you finished it. Because they know. They'll know. I'm enjoying mine. Okay, go. Good. Uh, So my first point is that this movie is one of those movies that's been parodied so many times in like The Simpsons and Family Guy and various TV shows and movies and stuff like that, that by the time I finally saw it in like 2012 or something like that, I knew every single like plot point of it and every reveal, except 
the final one. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. You didn't know? Even up to like the driving scenes, like the way that the driving is shot with just a sh- uh, front facing shot of her, the the um, shower scene is is uh, parodied so often. Yeah, yeah. So when I was watching it, I'm like, man, I know everything about this movie. It's awesome. And then it was revealed that his mom's been dead the entire time. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, right. But this isn't when we watched it just now. This is 2012 when you saw it. Yeah, when I watched it in 2012. Yeah, okay. And I was like, hold up. But still, yeah, what? I was like, this movie's been out longer than I have been, like times two. Yeah. And it's been like everything, like I'm sure there's probably Seinfeld. Everything has parodied this. And or mentioned it at least. Has mentioned yeah. it, has done some some sort of, like I guess the shower scene is so famous that it kind of just like eclipses the end of the movie. Yeah, I've definitely, I saw it around the same year that you saw it. I saw it in a film class and I didn't know too much like I knew the shower scene yeah and the idea of the Bates Motel but I also don't think I knew that but it was in a context of like already discussing the key plot points and then we watched the movie after that makes sense yeah so your teacher was like, and then in the final reveal scene, this happens and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm sure they've probably done it. Maybe I just didn't pick up on the cues enough because uh, I feel like maybe even King of the Hill did a reference to dressing up like the mom. I could imagine like Stewie Griffin doing it and then the like the wig like falling to the floor yeah. or something. And people thinking it was uh, Lois or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So maybe they've done it. I just didn't pick up on the fact that they were referencing the end of Psycho. Yeah. The shower scene is so obvious. It's the one of the most iconic film moments of all time, I would yeah. say. There are, I believe, 50 cuts, like camera cuts, in that entire scene, which is like a two-minute scene maybe, a yeah. one-minute scene if that. Wow. Like from the moment that the shower curtain is swiped open and it starts stabbing, it's 50 cuts, which is... A lot. That is a lot. Also, watching it now, it just looks awful. The most awful scene for me was the ending reveal of the dead body and then uh, Norman running in and then being held back by Sam. And he starts and then like, he's convulsing. Like, thrashing. And he's like, yeah, slow-mo thrashing. Oh, let's make sure my wig falls off so that it's extra clear to the audience who I am. Oh, it's even if it's not clear then, don't worry. There's like a five-minute <laughs> scene of a therapist describing the plot of the movie. Yeah, I could have done without that. I thought it was clear. You know who else could have gone without that? Who? Alfred Hitchcock. Ah! The producers wanted him to include it both as a like decompressor for the action that they had just seen. Like yeah. the, they thought the audience would be too like frayed to leave. And also for people who were too stupid to realize what had been happening, they included Oof. that. And it just like puts this this like halt to the movie and it is so boring. Yeah, I did not like it. Yeah. And like we never had seen that character before. It maybe would have been more interesting if it was the sheriff. Yeah, or something like that. Or if the sheriff's like, oh, we were talking to this therapist because he got help after his yeah. mom died or something. And he went, he was just in denial or whatever. My second point is that even watching now, by the time that the shower scene happens and like Norman cleans up the body and stuff, yeah, I think I'm I'm done at that point. I'm like, yeah, that was a good movie. That's that's a decent short horror film that ends in a in a murder. I enjoyed that. And then there's like an entire other half to that movie. Yeah, it's true because if you think of the moment where he's like watching the car sink into the swamp. That's got to be like the halfway point. That could be the ending. Like there's the last minute moment of like, it's not going to sink all the way. And then it does. And he's like, oh, thank God. And Mm -hmm. then just fade to black. 
even just like cutting to him and then he's like talking in his mom's voice. Yeah. That would be an interesting way to reveal it. Mm-hmm. But like, man, do I not need the, I do not need Sam and his sister investigating. I don't need the <laughs> private investigator exploring. Like there's a lot of really iconic shots. Like the uh, PI walking up the stairs is a very like yep. iconic shot. I got some talking about that later. Ooh. Even the one where the camera, f- where Norman is talking to his mom about putting her in the basement and the camera does this weird thing where it like pans just almost to the door where they're talking and then like pulls back up and creates almost yes. this like bird's eye view of the the set. It was interesting. I was like almost anticipating it to go just a bit higher to see over the yeah, wall, but, but it doesn't. I feel like that would break the the magic circle of the set. Yes. But it is really cool, and it also obscures the fact that he's carrying a dead body. So, like, there are there is quality in the last half of that movie that is definitely worth saving. But, like, man, when she gets stabbed and he cleans up the body, am I done? I'm good. Especially, they could have just cut a lot of the fat. I see what you're saying, though, for sure. Make, even just to be, like, several weeks later, and then the sister shows up, and they're talking in the car about how they hired this private investigator, and he even, he went missing or something. Yeah. I mean, it is it could a, have been a sequel. Yeah. You mean the other two sequels of Psycho? Which I have not seen. Me neither. I, I guess they'll probably... Pop up on this show one day. Eventually. <laughs> My third point, I mentioned this to you after we finished watching is for some reason there's a lot of food in this movie. Mm-hmm. Or at least they talk about it more than one would expect. Oh, my God. Are this you okay? is so hard to drink. Are you okay? It's yep. delicious, and I love it. Um, keep going. Keep going. Maybe I'll break the rule just because I want more of it. <laughs> I'll finish yours for you. <laughs> yeah, so like the one of the first lines of the movie, if not the first, is Sam telling Miriam, like, oh, you haven't eaten your sandwich yet. Norman is, like, constantly snacking. He makes her food. He makes her food. In the parlor. He offers the P.I. candy when he shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is, And he's not a heavy person. He's very slender. Yeah. So is is food supposed to represent something? Is it supposed to be creepy and eerie? Or is it supposed to just like add character and like realism to these characters? Um, this is I'm not me not having sure. like an answer. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. asking. Maybe it's the almost like a sign of his like need to kill women because it's kind of revealed at the end that he's killed two other women. Mm-hmm. So it's like gluttony. Or he's like always eating. The, the t- other two were like young, thin women maybe. And like he wanted to check how she eats or something. I don't know. I don't know. Cause, or like maybe it's like Brad Pitt. Maybe this actor had this, this tick where he's constantly eating on screen. Is and, Brad Pitt like that? Yeah. Brad Pitt always eats in his movies. And that's because Brad Pitt wants to eat in his yeah, movies? That's huh. his thing. Same, I didn't know that. Same way that Tom Hanks always pees in his movies. He does? Yep. And uh, what's his name? Um, Tom Cruise always runs in his movies. Oh. It's apparently a thing that actors need to like develop this or want to develop this thing that they constantly do in movies. Huh. I am. I have. Well, I'm not in movies, so. <laughs> well, what, what, what would yours be if you were a famous actress? I don't know. I guess something they could do is have me sing in them. Mm-hmm. But Even if it's just like humming. Like humming, yeah. Yeah. Like Andy Bernard, just slipping some songs in there. Car singing. Mm-hmm. Love car me some car singing. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, now that you know that, I'm sorry, but every time you see like Brad Pitt, he's gonna be eating I'm gonna something. be like, oh, look at him munching on that 
apple. Like you think of Ocean's <laughs> Eleven, like every time they're planning things, he's like chewing an apple or eating a burrito or something like that. You, you want to know a secret? You've never seen Ocean's Eleven? <gasps> you know my secret. Oh, we should watch Ocean's Eleven. That's a quality movie. Yeah. Not a horror movie, but so a not quality for this movie. Po- a podcast, but uh, our own personal lives. So maybe this actor was like, "This is gonna be, this is gonna be my thing." I don't know why I'm talking like James Dean. See? Jesus Christ. All, sadly enough, it's not one of my trivia facts, but this actor got so tight cast that he, his career didn't go anywhere. Oh, the guy who played... Norman. Oh. He got in other sequels and he was in a couple like other movies, but he, he says that... Um, it killed him? It says that it killed his career, but he doesn't regret it because he, huh. both him and I believe the actress who played Mar- Marion, yep. they said that they would rather be remembered for this classic than uh, forgotten. Nice. So they don't. neither of them regret doing this movie yeah i mean it's so iconic it is so iconic her getting stabbed great <laughs> this, i've got two little facts af- left go for it so my first little fact is that when i went to universal california i actually saw the mansion whoa it's super tiny what like we it, you jump in the tram they're like scooting you through the back and you see like the big parking lot where they filmed uh like most of the water scenes and movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you scoop on by and they're like, and up there on that hill is the Bates mansion. And you look up and it's like very close to you and extremely tiny. And they're like, if you listen hard, you'll be able to see Mrs. Or hear Mrs. Bates talking in there. And, and then do we, you hear it? No. Oh, did you not listen hard enough or did they not have anything? I think he was fucking with us. Oh, okay. And then Ron Howard walked by. That- and that was my experience with California <laughs> and Universal. <laughs> That is interesting, though, because there's a moment when the sister is going up the steps or not even up the steps, but up the hill yeah. to the mansion. And you can see I it thought it looked weird. There's like grass, but like it's really tall, it's really big and close to the camera. But then it just makes it seem like the mansion is bigger, I guess. Yeah, because they were close to the floor. Anytime that Norman comes out of the front door of the mansion. Yep. I think the door is specifically built large enough for Norman to walk out of it, but the rest of the house is small. And at the angle that they filmed it, it looks Doesn't look, fine. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Um, there is a real front to the house. Like there's a set that they filmed at the front of the house, mm-hmm. which is why like when she's walking up the hill, it cuts back and forth. And then finally she's standing in front of a real house. Yeah, which is proportionally, proportionately correct. Yeah. But other than that, it's all just a tiny little mansion filmed huh. from a very low angle. And they had it at the Universal California. That's cool. And I don't think that's the first location of it. I think they moved it to Universal California. Which after makes the sense. Movie. Yeah. Because then I wonder if the motel is real and they moved it to like a hill near a real motel or if that's all built. I wonder if the Bates Motel TV show uses the same motel. Yeah, I don't know. That would be cool. I am curious to watch that show now. Yeah. It'd be interesting. if I don't even know what the time zone is or not time, what the year is, like if it's before or after the events. Mm. We should watch Psycho 2 and find out. Yes! We're going to take a moment to talk about our sponsors and socials. Have you heard of PodCoin? I found out about it two weeks ago and instantly claimed drinking and screaming on it. It's the only podcast player that pays you to listen. It's free and easy to use and available on iPhone and Android. You can use the PodCoin that you earn to claim gift cards like Amazon or Starbucks. There's a whole lot of different options. Or you can even donate your earnings to charity. You can use the code SCREAMING to get a bonus 300 PodCoin just by signing up. That's 300 PodCoin just for signing up if you use the code SCREAMING. Ah! (laughs) You wanted me to just scream at PodCoin, right? That's all you got to do, yeah. Okay. 
This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you through the generous support of local distillery Mad Lab Distilling, who provided us with the premium vodka used in this week's cocktail. Their first release product, their premium vodka, is triple distilled through their direct fire pot still, taking less and less each time, collecting only the best of the hearts from each run. To find out more about their products and where to purchase, go to madlabdistilling.com. Also, if you make a martini, you're going to use like half of their bottle. (laughs) We now need more vodka from them. Please give us more delightful sponsor. (laughs) Drinking and Screaming is made possible through the awesome support of our patrons. Thanks to everyone who's currently a patron. And finally, an update for you current patrons. The stickers have finally been sent. Not finally and as in that Char has been sitting on them, but, you know, the process of making, buying, it's shipping, a, it's taking sending. taking us a little while. So they're en route. You're going stick, to be sticking them to your laptops and, and binders and stuff and duotangs. Huzzah! Do people still use duotangs? I have no clue. <laughs> uh, other rewards that we have on our Patreon for helping us out include original drink recipe cards. They're digital, so you don't have to even worry about getting them in the mail. They're instantaneous. Uh, we got bonus episodes. Our first bonus episode is going to be featured for free on uh, International Podcast Month's feed. You can follow them on Twitter at PodMonth to get more info on that. We have special Discord titles and colors and even a physical cocktail recipe book that Kelly and I are making. I yep. mean, mostly me. <laughs> You can follow us, Instagram and Facebook, at Drink and Scream, Twitter at Drink underscore Scream, and email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes if you can. It helps us find new listeners, and it makes us feel real, real good. We have a few new reviews for Drinking and Screaming. I'm going to read out loud. If you review us, you'll get featured. Oh, my goodness. So this one's from Eloise76. Love it. Love the mix of drinks, pun intended, and horror. Damn right. Char and Kelly have great chemistry together, and it's like listening to friends talk about the things they love. Highly recommend. That's from Erica, who's a podcast host of Customers Also Watched. I sure fucking hope we have chemistry. (laughs) If one of the reviews is like, man, these two people don't seem like they know each other at all, I'm going to really question our relationship. (laughs) Another review we got was from Allysaurus Rex. Sick. Heck yeah, great username. Fun and trivia filled. I'm an avid fan of liquor and horror movies, and this is one of my new favorite podcasts. Aw, thank you. The hosts are delightful, and their love of horror is wonderful. They provide fun facts about the films, and I could listen to them all day. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Allysaurus. You're awesome. If you want to come talk to us, you can join our Discord. For now, we're going to be cozying up with our partner, Super Hopped Up, so check out bit.ly slash Discord to join that. But now we have an ad for The Sinful Show, a podcast that delves into the deep, dark inner workings of your mind. It is in human nature to have extremely enjoyable feelings that make you feel guilty. Join me, your host, the one and only Father Sin, every week while I delve into the inner workings of the human mind in my own twisted and sinful way on The Sinful Show. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And my final point is nobody in this movie knows how to fucking lie. What? Like, Miriam steals the the money and then a cop is like, hey, everything okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah. I'm just First thing she does, cop 
approaches her window and she tries to drive away. The car. <laughs> yeah, what? What? <laughs> then he's like, "Is everything okay?" And she's like, "I." Why does anything seem not okay? That's fine. And then she goes to buy Ugh. a new car so that she's got California plates and the cop's standing across right the street. There. And she still goes through with the transaction, even though the cop is now standing next to the car she's driving away with. Yeah. And she's like constantly looking at the cop. But then the cop does not follow her. Does not follow her. And then she signs her name when she gets to the motel and then forgets her fake name and refers to herself as... Uh, uh, Marion Crane. She uses yeah. her real last name. Fucking idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the PI comes up to talk to Norman, he's like, oh, this, Jesus. he's this stuttering asshole. He's like, I've never seen her before. And it's like, Did, I haven't had anyone for two weeks, but people kept showing up the last week and talking about my motel and up. Um, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, can I see your ledger? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. She did come by. Oh, yeah. Her face, head was wet. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> There's nobody in my house. Oh, wait. My mom's in my house. Like fucking learn to <laughs> learn to tell a fib. Keep your story straight. Jesus. No wonder people in the 60s died so much. They couldn't. Hold their tongue. <laughs> Anyways, that's those are my, all my points of psycho. Ooh. All right. So I mentioned this before, but this is the one of the movies that I watched in a lovely film class. I forget what the title of it was called, but it was basically surrounding monsters in media and basically in horror films. And you didn't watch Monster? No. No. Oh, it's a shame. <laughs> but I have seen that le- uh, recently. Yeah. It's a good um, movie. But yeah, we went through classics like Blue Velvet, Frankenstein, Psycho. Yeah, a lot of really good ones. And it also, I think it's kind of what subconsciously made me shift from loving horror movies in the sense of like jump scare movies and loving horror movies for being able to do kind of what we're doing on this podcast. Yeah, and and analyzing them and what they mean and everything. So uh, for this one... I'm going to sort of change my usual flow. I, I'm going to go deep into the uh, analyses Ooh. more. I'm glad I got you all tipsy for this then so that you can really collect your thoughts and say them in a articulate and well-spoken manner. Yeah, this is going to be great. One of the things that I remember specifically from analyzing this movie in that class, shout out to Mario, don't know your last name, but that was my professor, uh, <laughs> highlights. Mario and Luigi? <laughs> No, he was a short man. He did have a mustache. And your, your film teacher might have been Mario. And he had little glasses. Mm. And he was very cool. And he hated The Walking Dead, which I tried to convince him to love. That, get, um, that, that gets harder every season. Yeah. He was very big on the white man hero trope and like saving all the outcasts. It's like terrible. Oh, okay. So good. that's why he hated The Walking Dead. But anyways, tangent, um, he points out the lighting and shadows used a lot in this movie, Mm. which I kind of pointed out while we were watching it. There's a lot of really cool things, mainly in the parlor scene. We see the stuffed birds that are pretty high overhead with like huge shadows behind them. Yeah. Basically looking like they're going to attack you, the viewer, but also Marion, who's in the only uh, well-lit area of the parlor. So it's like all eyes on her. She is the prey. The birds are literally going to swoop down and Norman's like standing over her like, mm-hmm, eat your chicken on a plate and bread on a plate. Some sort, some meat and bread. He basically made a deconstructed sandwich for her. Yeah, he went, he, yeah, that's true. Very fancy, deconstructed. Yeah. The other scene that really points it out is when the investigator is going up the stairs in the mansion. I pointed out that there's the Cupid statue in that hallway. And then as it goes face, the camera faces back to him, you see the gun or like bow and arrow, whatever, shadow loom over him. And then like five seconds later, he's stabbed by Norman, Mm, which was really cool. Cupid uh, 
synonymous with killing people. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, br- the bringer of demise and death, Cupid. <laughs> he had the bow. It was like, I don't know if it was actually Cupid, but there was a bow and arrow. It was, it was a cherub. So it probably yeah, was cherub, Cupid. You know what word. that arrow, you know what that arrow does though? Not kill people. <laughs> Makes them real horny. Yeah. And then the last one that I want to point out is the final moment of Norman being in the police station uh, with the blanket around him. And you get that mother's monologue. Yeah. He's like super well lit from above. And it's kind of like a zoning in analysis of this personality that totally is not in the shadows anymore. It's well lit. It's it's not hiding. It's honest. They do light him in such a way that his eyes look very sunken, though. Mm-hmm. There's a... F- it- He's still very creepy, yeah. but very bright. Every time he is doing something evil or like descending into madness, his like cast his shadow is cast in such a way that his eyes are covered in darkness, basically. It's very interesting. It also is important for a lot of black and white movies to use shadow properly because they yes. can't can't use color. And their eyebrows have to be so hard. So thick. <laughs> And this movie actually came out in a time when color existed, but he wanted to film it in black and white so that it was a very cheap movie to make. Ah, that's cool. Speaking of the times that this movie came out, this uh, is a really good example of American movies in the 60s because it was right around the time when the end of the motion picture production code or the Hayes Code, which was a code that set the industry moral guidelines that were applied to most of the United States motion pictures of the time from the 1930s to the 1968. Have you heard of the Hayes Code before? No. Really? Did this like prevent them from showing boobs? Yes, basically. So this is huge. Oh, I'm so glad you don't know. Okay, so it's called the Hayes Code because William H. Hayes was the president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America, which is the MPPDA. He was the president from... The 20s to like around the end of World War II. And he hated breasts. Yes. Well, that's the whole thing about like horror movies of the time or even just like classic films. Like whenever there's a lot of rushing water that's used as like a synonym or not a synonym, a symbol for people having sex. But there's a cutaway and then it's all of a sudden she's doing dishes and there's a faucet running. That's because they bang. Is that like the parody of like when I guess in like Family Guy, they have a train going into yes! a tunnel? Yes, that's like exactly it. roses blooming or something yeah, like that? Yeah, oh. totally that. Which they, is interesting. Uh, side tangent, India uses dancing to symbolize having sex. Mm. I don't know if that's the case for all of them, but I've heard that. And yeah. I haven't confirmed if it's true or not. So here's some false facts for you, potentially. <laughs> They also don't have um, men and women sleeping in the same bed, even if they're married. Nice. Um, As God intended. Yes, exactly. So it's all like really, it gets pretty stupid, the rules that they made. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Psycho is one of the first movies that it's around the time when they started to push back against that just because of the TV, the television industry becoming bigger. Yeah. Uh, the Supreme Court even got involved with a, a few films. In 1968, that was when it was officially disbanded, and then it got replaced with the MPA film rating system, which is the like 18 plus or whatever yeah. that we have today. But so things that broke the Hayes Code in this movie, uh, where the opening scene is like extremely pushing boundaries of its time, because Marion is in her bra, she's with a man who's not her husband, and they were in bed together. Clearly, they had just fucked. Yeah, um, they, had, they had that swooning look to them. <laughs> The toilet. There's never been a toilet flushed. Ah, that was one of my facts. Oh, yeah. yeah that's because of the Hayes Code. It's the first toilet that was flushed. Yeah. Which uh, was specifically the writer wanted that to happen. 
And so he wrote into the movie a reason why they couldn't get oh, rid of okay. it. It's such an integral plot point to the yeah. movie that they had to keep it. That's cool. Interesting. Uh, what's another one? Oh, um, also, leading with your fact about them waking up in bed, Alfred Hitchcock also specifically put in extremely racy content to distract from the other racy content he wanted. Nice. So stuff like that was put in and like censored a little bit more than he had originally intended so that it would distract them from later scenes that he wanted. That's cool. But yeah, the violence, particularly the shower scene is huge. And that's, I think this is maybe something that you're talking about because the shower scene itself was so racy that the censors of the film were like, we don't like this. Mm -hmm. So then he took the film back, held on to it for a few days, and then resubmitted it without changing it nice. to be like, oh, I did some edits. What do you think? And then people who voted against it before switched their vote and people who voted for it before switched their vote. Nice. And then he agreed with the the censor staff that he would refilm the opening scene if they were present as long as he could f keep the shower scene. Nice. And then the censor staff just never came. So they left the opening scene the way it was. Good. Which is funny. It turns out being a douchebag once in a while works in, in movie favor. But it, like, you know, a cool director doing that would be cool. It would be extra awesome. An asshole doing yeah. that is like, oh, that's just an extension of his assholeness. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And my last point isn't something deep into the film knowledge that I have, but um, I just really liked Norman. Yeah. And I found myself, like, falling in love with him on screen. Like, he's so cute and, like, awkward, and he just wants to spend time with Marion, who it turns out that he wants to murder. But it's, like, the mental... Before you dive into his mental psychosis and learn everything that's going on, just the, the Norman side of his brain is, like, and personality is so endearing. Yeah, he's such a sweet boy. Which is funny because, like, the psychologist at the end says, like, Norman was always fucked up to begin with. It was, and then the death, like, ruined him. I'm like, he seems fine. Like, he's he a was little awkward. He's a little awkward and stuttery, but he, like, when the PI showed up, he was completely cordial and, like, yeah. like, even offered him some candy. He was way better than Sam, the lover of this movie, yeah. who I want to point out when Marion's sister is going, is, like, nervous and hoping to use Sam to help her find her fucking sister and. Sam is her lover. She asks like, oh, let's go to the hotel. And he's like, no, you can't come. And she's like, why? And then he's like, I don't know. I like the delivery of that because it's almost like he was caught off guard. Like he was just doing a guy thing. And he's like, no, you have to stay here. And she's like, but why? And he's like, I don't know. And then he gives a reason. I forget what the reason is. is someone needs to take care of the store while I'm gone. Yeah, fuck And to you. make sure that uh, when the PI comes back that he, someone's here. Ugh, makes me mad. But yeah, it's actually funny because in the book, Norman is a fat, short, unlikable person. Mm. And they wanted to switch it up and make him like charismatic and like endearing and stuff like that. Huh. And I think they got like a really good actor to play him as well. He was awesome. And it also worked out that he was very a tall, slender man because it... Works for being a mom. Yes, <laughs> like the, the you don't second guess the few images you see of the mother before it's revealed. Also, I will note like during the therapist scene, one of the police officers brings up that Norman is a transvestite. Yeah. And then the therapist's like, no, no, no. They they would do that to change their sexuality or, or other things. And I, I'm like, for the life of me, I'm like, is that woke? I'm like, he's correcting them and saying like they're doing that intentionally. Transvestite is no longer like a, a the right word yeah. for it. But the idea that like at that time he's like, no, 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 no. 
That's not what he is. He's doing this because he's trying to recreate his mother. Yeah. The, they have re- reasons to do that, and here's the legitimate reasons. So I'm like, is that is that good? Did they do a good job with that? I think he. it's good, not in the sense of defending people who dress in their opposite gender, or sp- assume gender. Assigned gender, yeah. Yeah, assign, that's better. But it is woke in the s- terms of, like, mental illness. Yeah, where it's like, don't, don't call people who dress up in uh, the opposite assigned gender crazy. Yeah, Norman's, exactly. Norman's crazy. Those people are fine. <laughs> this this asshole gone and fucking loco. Those people are fine. Don't don't lump them in with him. Yeah. So maybe that's okay. I'm I'm personally not abreast of the the ins and out of that. So yeah. I can only assume that they did a good job at at dissuading people from thinking that. And also going into his mental issues, he definitely they showed a lot of backstory into why he became who he became. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting and kind of relatable. Like I would not I don't I won't go into a psychotic break and start dressing up like my dad, but I did I really empathize with that story. And it's very like what's it like Oedipal or whatever. Like this other man came in and was taking the one woman in your life away from you. And the only person you had. Yeah, exactly. It was like they were on the side of the road that nobody came to. So you feel like you're losing everything in your life. Exactly. So you you killed both of them. Yeah. (laughs) Or it probably accidentally. Makes sense. (laughs) We probably learn in one of the various other psycho series video movies and stuff that maybe that was an accident. Maybe he didn't mean to kill his mom and. You okay over there? You look like you're dying. Every time I take a sip, I hate it. It's okay. I only have like two sips left. Yeah, that's where the strychnine is. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, give me some fun facts to distract from this. So those of you who don't know, welcome to the segment where Shar and I talk about facts about the movie. Woo! Even though I feel like in this one, we've had a lot of facts just during our our thoughts. But uh, we specifically, after watching a movie, will lie in bed and go to IMDb and read some fun little facts. Trivia! And goofs and stuff. And so we're, we're looping you into our relationship for this segment. I like to call the fact section. Of our podcast. I got really excited there. <laughs> that I had That you had this? come up with a new name because Fuck we do no. not have a name for it at all. Someone, listeners, please name this section for us. Please do. Uh, so just FYI, a lot of these are about how Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock is an asshole. Great. So the first one, Alfred Hitchcock actually tested the fear factor of the corpse, the mother's corpse, by placing it in Janet Lee's, who plays Marion's dressing room and listening to how loud she screams when she discovers it. What? Which is like, like, that's a prank. But also, hey, Alfred, fuck you. Yeah, that's not nice. Fuck you, though. Um, Boo. My second fact was the toilet fact, so thanks for that. Ha-ha, you're welcome. I know things about movies. Uh, The third fact was the book fact that I had brought up about how he bought out all the books. Yeah, wow. uh, My fourth fact. Wow, we're just really speeding through these. Good. We had a lot of discussion. We did. This one I'm going to have to specifically read because it comes with a quote. All right. So when the movie came out, every theater that showed this movie had a cardboard cutout installed in it in the lobby of Alfred Hitchcock, pointing to his wristwatch wristwatch, with a note saying, the manager of this theater has been instructed at the risk of his life not to admit to the theater any persons after the picture starts. Any spurious attempts to enter by side doors, fire escapes, or ventilating shafts will be met by force. The entire objective of this extraordinary policy, of course, 
is to help you enjoy Psycho more. Honestly, like when I'm, I don't feel it too much. Okay, no, lies. I was going to say, I don't really feel it when I'm watching movies, but definitely when I'm watching plays. But when we saw Midsummer, that sucked. There were so many people entering, leaving, phones ringing. Oh, like, yeah. I honestly understand this idea of like, don't come to see my fucking movie if you can't come on time. That's fair. But like judging by all the other, like there were a lot of facts about this and it seems like he only wanted it because he figured that his entire movie in its purity would be unenjoyable if you missed the shots of, of Marion and Sam banging. Mm, so it was more that one moment. Oh no, like every, like if you missed her at work talking about her headache and how she wanted to take um, sedatives. Horse tranquilizers? Yeah. Like, what was that? Then, that? We didn't even talk about that. That was so weird. And then guess what? That never comes up again. So I think he just like, I don't know. It, it's just really weird. It's also weird that he would force them to put up a cutout. Yeah. But okay. Of him passive aggressively pointing at his wristwatch and be like, don't fucking miss my show. Yeah. Also, Midsummer was great because the couple left after the opening scene and that was... That was cool. That added to the, the horrors of it. Yeah. All right, back to an actual one of Hitchcock being a fucking douchebag. Janet Lee wore moleskin adhesive patches covering her private parts when she was acting out the shower scene. Yeah. Uh, so she would not really be nude on camera or anything like that. However, after a few takes, the warm water of the shower washed off the moleskin. Alfred Hitchcock then did one more take. And of course, that's the one that makes it into the movie. So she oh. she wore a bunch of uh, coverings to like hide her genitals and stuff. And then they fall, fell off and Alfred, Alfred's like, no, nah, let's do one more. And then decided to use that. That's so terrible. Yeah. That's I do know s- that her, she had a body double who was the in the body bag. So the butt you see is not her butt. Mm. I wonder if the nipples are hers, the like faded ones in the background. Well, I'm assuming that's this part that we're talking about. Be. But like, that's terrible. Like the actress, yeah. the actress explicitly wore coverings and then they fell off and you're like, no, you can't put them back on. We're and then gonna- of course you don't, as the woman and the actor, you're always taught like say yes and like just do whatever you can. Thankfully it's changing a bit now. Yeah. But like if I was in that position, I'd like to hope that I would think like, no, I'm not, I'm going to stand up for myself, but I probably would just do it. Well, that's like in, um, <sighs> what was it? The, uh, what's that movie with the famous scene of the woman like, crossing her legs and uncrossing them. It's the one that we brought up that's been remade a lot. Something Attraction? Fatal Fatal Attraction, yes. Is that the right movie? Yes, that's right. So it's like in Fatal Attraction, the actress who like uncrosses her legs and then crosses them again was promised that they would edit. Darken the scene. They would darken it and edit it to the point where they couldn't see anything. And then of course, she's sitting there in the theater watching her movie and you can clearly see everything and she freaks out, which is completely understandable. That's awful. Directors are the worst. I hate this film career I have chosen. Kill the rich. My final one, this one is celebrating Alfred Hitchcock? I don't know. It's just telling us how lucky he is. So he originally... When making this movie, he wanted it to succeed so much that he withheld his regular salary of $250,000 and instead took 60% of the movie grossings. Wow. Paramount, well. <laughs> yeah, Paramount at the time didn't think the movie would do that well, so they agreed. And of course, it blew up. And his earnings from the movie exceeded $15 million. And if we adjusted that now for, or when this fact was made for 2016, that would be $120 million. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So just dude just fell backwards into that money. Wow. It's also interesting. Like, I feel like no no studio would even take that risk anymore. Like, if you're a director and you're making a movie and they're like, ah, this will be a flop. I don't think they would even offer you 
that much of a percentage. 60%. That's crazy. Just in case. That's like... like that's so much, though. Even... Ah, oh, that's so much. That's like you you own the majority of the movie's grossings at this point. Like Tommy Wiseau made a shitty movie, but <laughs> n- now that's probably made millions of dollars just because it's so bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, and it was You're not... You're tearing a- me apart, Lisa. Oh, hey, Mark. <laughs> and like this wasn't even that expensive of a movie to make. Yeah. Um, you didn't put any fun facts about the chocolate syrup. Oh, yeah. They use chocolate syrup instead of blood. Because it's black and white. I figured that would come up naturally, but then I forgot. Oh. So well, it wasn't even a fun fact. It was just a fact. You're welcome. Trivia. Woo. Thanks. Anyways. Are we uh, ready for some final thoughts? Um, yeah. I could go for some final thoughts. Okay. You finished your drink yet? I did. That's my final thought. I'm so glad <laughs> Good that I managed to make it through this martini. I am posting this on Instagram so people know how big of a glass that was. Of just liquor. Yeah. Just straight liquor. Yeah, fucking martinis are great. <laughs> and like, I love me some olives, and those olives maybe would have distracted from the intense liquor that I was drinking, but no. You also like lemon, though, so... I do, but you didn't put lemon juice in it. You just put a lemon skin, a lemon rind. Yeah. That's not... That's it's for accent. Yeah, whatever. It, would, it, it doesn't... I don't want to distract away from the liquor. <laughs> yeah, that's basically my final thought. Wait, um, seriously? Your final thought was about the drink? Yeah, I'm just going to go with that. Okay, great. My final thought, and uh, I'm ready to be just fucking torn apart by movie buffs. It gets harder and harder to enjoy watching this movie every time I watch it. Oh. I wouldn't say that it's like overrated because I think it's definitely earned the clout and it is like a decent movie, but just seems to have that like that like old timey drag that a lot of movies have where, how can I, there's so many unnecessary things in it like interactions between people have a lot of like words that don't need to be said or anything like that that's definitely the style of the time yeah exactly and i think pacing and storytelling has definitely changed to the point where like old movies just put a so, so little in a lot of time and nowadays we try to like make every line count and every shot understandable and like feed into the overall structure of the movie Mm. that like like i said at the beginning by the time she's getting stabbed and norman's cleaning everything up i'm like standing up and ready to leave the theater and i'm like oh what oh there's like an hour left yeah Uh, i don't know i just i I of course understand that of the time this movie was like revolutionary or whatever we should be analyzing it for the good that it gives to movies but i think as a whole it just drags a lot and there's so much unnecessary fat in it that feeds into nothing like the food i Unless someone points out that food played an integral part into the symbolism of the movie, it just seemed like such an unnecessary character plot, like character point to make them seem like real people. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. For me, it's not hard to watch. I definitely appreciate it more this time than I did the last time that I saw it, uh, which was when I was at the beginning of my horror career, if you will, of movie watching. Hmm. I do appreciate what you're saying, though, and I definitely agree with the idea of how much moment to moment needs to be filled like, in a film. I'm even fine. Like a lot of movies nowadays, especially like Ari Aster movies and stuff, do like to like linger on a scene, but it's always a scene that has an emotion to it. Yeah. This movie could have been an episode. It could have been 40 minutes long. Yeah. I f- and it could have ha- still had all the plot points, even after the 
shower and stuff, Mm -hmm. but just cut all the fat. Trim, 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 trim. So when the final cut of the movie came out, Alfred Hitchcock was very unimpressed with it. He didn't really like it that much, and he thought he would have to cut it down to a TV show episode for his, like, Alfred Hitchcock, whatever. And then the composer actually added the music to it, which then spurred on Hitchcock to, like, realize that it was going to be something big. And I feel like it probably could have been a good TV show. (laughs) Like, the music could have remained. Like, the classic sound effect of the stabbing is so iconic now. Oh, my gosh. Bringing that up, the, like, main theme that's heavily in this movie, especially in the beginning, is kind of annoying to me. Oh, really? But then the second half, the... I can't imitate it right now, but when it was happening, I was like, that's just like Harry Potter. The like <laughs> second song that they made was so good. Or like musical theme, not song. But. It also kind of sounded a little bit like Rosemary's Baby, the beginning one. Yeah. I don't know. but um, I'm sure we'll use the music in the episode somewhere, so take yeah. notes of that. Somewhere. But um, I like the scenes that are iconic, but I would rather just watch a compilation of like iconic psycho scenes. Those movie clips on YouTube. Yeah, the ones that end with like, and now you should watch this one. These ones. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm ready for film buffs to tear me to shreds. <laughs> it's fine. I'm drunk now. <laughs> me too. Well, that's been Psycho, a movie about a healthy relationship with your mother, getting to meet new people and always tell them the truth. I'm sorry. I think you mean a movie about mama's boys. Hey, nothing wrong with being a mama's boy. <laughs> A, man, a boy's best friend is, is his mother. Hi, Colleen. <laughs> Next week, we'll be releasing on Friday the 13th. What could we possibly be watching? Freaky Friday. Fuck yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> Hillary Duff coming at me. Lindsay Lohan. Damn it. <laughs> and remember, always scream responsibly. Ah.